Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. Well, today I'm excited to interview a good friend of mine, Mr. Michael Patton, otherwise known to me as Mike. We grew up together, neighbors across the street from each other, and spent numerous hours together with uh, a small group of other people in our neighborhood, including Mike's brother, Tal, and another neighbor also named Mike. So uh, a lot of us got pretty tight during those formative years, uh, those years between elementary and high school, uh, and we shared many things in common. We, all, we also got to know each other, uh, our likes, our dislikes, our strengths, and perhaps areas that we need other support in, too. But ultimately, uh, there's really no surprises that we ended up where we did, I think, and, and maybe Mike will agree with this, too, because we've known each other pretty well in those years, and we saw a lot of what was taking place. Our paths are definitely different, and you know how we got to each of those jobs and into that career, uh, I think, are, are pretty interesting stories between all of us. So, Mike, I want to formally welcome you to the Between the Bullet Points podcast, and thank you for being my guest today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sean. I appreciate you getting me onto the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to discuss career paths, choices and opportunities and turning points that our guests have experienced during our time together. We'll discuss how your career started, how it progressed and how and why our career paths developed, perhaps due to maybe some gained knowledge, experience, interests, networking or by personal or professional circumstances. In other words, what happened between the bullet points? So, Mike, your career is in video production, and you currently do just that in a unique geographical location. So just please take a little time right now and describe to us what you're currently doing in your career, maybe where you're doing it. Yeah, um, I'm on a remote island 2,500 miles away from the mainland U.S., but I am still in the U.S., and that was one of the things uh, I strived for. I wanted to be essentially out of the mainstream and I am living on the island of uh, Maui, Hawaii. Now originally I thought I would get in here a lot earlier than I did and I also had an alternative lifestyle that I was living but um, I'm still working within my career which is uh, amazing to me because I enjoy it and uh, you can do that and I'm still part of the United States. <laughs> But I'm on a very remote island, uh, and the lifestyle here is drastically different than anywhere else I've lived. That's neat. So I, I do envy you, obviously, living in a, such a beautiful location and, and doing what you want to do. We'll, the story of how you got there, we will uh, kind of get there later in the podcast, let's say. Uh, but what kind of 
productions. Uh, another thing is, do you do you actually do on a day to day basis? You know, or you know, what kind of schedule or what kind of projects do you do? Well, th there's really on an island. <laughs> there's almost no such thing as a set schedule. Um, there is. I know some people talk about island time. Well, that's a real factor. Uh, a lot of things are changed frequently, and to some people that's a positive, to some people that's a negative. Uh, because of the virus, it's dating this podcast, it's dating this cast, but uh, things have changed, so there's less events. But before that happened, uh, we would have events every week. The days would change, the times would change. The sizes would change, and you would just have to kind of go with the flow. But the great thing about living on an island is that everyone goes with the flow, and everyone's pretty much got each other's backs. Uh, that's something that I knew all along, but it's something that you have to live by on an island. If you don't respect other people, then you're not going to be able to live on an island. <laughs> I'll just basically say that out, whether it's career whether it's living your life. So to put that in a succinct way, if I'm working on a production, I'm not working on a production alone. We're dealing with the elements. We have a lot of winds here. We have rainstorms, and the rainstorms are not like in other parts of the country. They come on fast, they come on strong, then they disappear. So you're constantly changing your things. We've also had some tsunamis here, but we, don't, we haven't had one in a while, which is great. Um, so... You have to deal with elements just like in any state, but we are dealing with a unique set of elements here. And the thing is that when I'm doing a video production for a company that's flying 500 employees over to Maui, they want everything to run as smoothly as possible. So you do the best you can, and you depend on other people, and that's how you get things done here. Wow. That's it. It's very interesting because there's nothing that, that I can relate to as far as doing that. I've, I've done video productions myself, uh, some event videography, weddings and bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, uh, and sports and things like that. But, um, yeah. you know, it's obviously been a lot more rigid in the schedule that we do or maybe in some cases that they're much more controlled. Uh, I know my big greatest challenges were going out onto the beach and other locations that we have at you know at the Jersey Shore, and recording you know the nuptials and, and all that, but uh, dealing with wind and uh, some of the other weather factors or sounds uh, is always challenging, and that's something that you have to deal with a lot more than than I probably yeah. have to. Yeah. Interesting. When so you put up a screen, when you set up a screen outside, and and we're dealing with generally events. Well, now there's smaller and things have really leveled off but they'll, they'll come back um, but when you're dealing with like 100 people and up sometimes a thousand people on a lawn and you have a oh, I would say 30 foot screen and the wind starts blowing and palm fronds start going and everybody starts panicking and you're grabbing <laughs> sandbags to try to hold up the screen um, to me that's excitement <laughs> and I enjoy it but when I tell my father these things, he's like, oh, I don't, I wouldn't need that kind of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> that's the excitement some, only a few people actually want, so that's good. So speaking of that, now, now the curious factor about your current situation, how, how long have you been living on the island? Oh, well, this is, this, is, this is the thing that's insane to me because time passes really fast here. 
I've been living on this island since 2007. Wow. It kind of blows my mind. Um, but there are no seasons here. There's, you, you can tell the seasons from the ocean and from where the waves are coming and how big the waves are. And the temperature varies maybe 8 to 10 degrees, and there is a spring <laughs> time. But other than that, when the leaves don't change, um, it doesn't get cold. The ocean temperature doesn't really vary. And it's different than living on the mainland. <laughs> wow. So now just relay a little bit of your story, uh, but also I want you to kind of put it together with let's just pretend that someone hears your story and gets inspired by it and says, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to go to that island. You know, it's one of the, the islands in Hawaii. Maybe it doesn't matter that one or another one. And uh, I, I want to do video production. I mean, do you just walk up and get a job? You know, is there – one ads. How, how, how did you go about it, and how would somebody else maybe? Well, I I wouldn't suggest doing that. I would always suggest um, calling and doing a lot of homework ahead of time. Um, I I'm a religious person. I pray about any major things, so I did a lot of that before. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that I had a career in faith. And I took a tr more traditional route. I'm not saying that people need to do that, especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, you and I are older. <laughs> We're not just starting <laughs> out. So when I was starting out, I was kind of pressured to go a normal route, which was um, get, in, get a good internship if you're going to college, which I was fortunate to do. I got some internships, actually two of them, with major networks. And then I ended up working for a major network in New York City as I was living in New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, did, did that all add up to you actually, like, you know, coming to Hawaii and getting a job with that? Well, when I when I dropped off my resumes in Hawaii, people took notice because I had experience. So they called me. And then once you get a job, though, that's a whole different thing because jobs are <laughs> the way they do things are so different here. I had to do a huge emotional, mental learning curve with that. And that was one of the bigger things. But the positive of that is uh, you slow down. And I, I progressed from – I did a stint in New Jersey, did stuff, did stuff in New York City, did stuff in Florida, California, and Hawaii. And Hawaii – as you move west, I found that the slower the pace of life. Hmm. So I joke and say, well, if I went to, like, American Samoa or I went somewhere even more west or south, things hmm. would slow down even more. Yeah. And I don't mind that, but I, I tell some friends, like we have a friend that you mentioned from childhood, Mike, and I try to keep in contact with people. I'm not real good with social media and stuff, but I try to keep in contact with people when I can. And he said, well, would you ever move off of the island? And I said, well, that would be hard. And when I first moved to this island, I ran into that. Like people said, well, once you get into this lifestyle, it would be hard to change because it's, easy to, it's easier to slow down, but it's harder to pace back up, and it may not even be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Can appreciate that, but but I'm not saying that everything's all flowers and everything. I mean, you have to deal with things here that you don't have to deal with on the mainland. So it is different. Uh, I would do your research, and there are some good books. I can't think of them right now, but I read some really good books before I moved out here. And of course, 
I moved down here in a really roundabout way, which is the only. I guess one last question before we we do a uh, sure. just go back. I know you even mentioned we're in a you know unique time. We all know that right now because of COVID and a lot of things have slowed yeah. down and business and all that. But pre-pandemic yeah. and and let's just pretend a year or two from now, you know, and 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 just say we'll be back to normal. You know, would it be uh, a good job market for someone to get the idea of? Yeah, I really like the idea of island lifestyle, and I'm a video person, videographer, editor, director, whatever the case is. That you know, I want to come out and and get a job. Is it? Would it be a decent market out there, or is there just not typically jobs? And and, and again, well, don't well don't worry about pandemic time. Yeah, yeah. No, here's the perfect analogy for that. I was working at um, a cable station doing uh, commercial work and doing some news work at a cable station in New Jersey. And uh, one of the leads, like the news anchor, and news anchor is always in front of the camera, and they are like a lead person. And they were going to move to Guam. Guam is also a part of the United States. Mm -hmm. And this guy was basically going to be given the anchor position at the biggest station in Guam. But some people in his circle, his work circle, said, you know, you're only, at this time we were young, we were in our late 20s, and he was doing really well. And they said to him, you know, you might stall your career if you go to Guam because if you're the top guy in Guam, that's all the places you're going. And then if you want to go back from Guam to like a market in L.A. or a market in New York City, going to be much harder maybe you should get to the point where you want to be first before you move to that alternate slower lifestyle so i would say that is something to factor in i mean i am not going to be well i can't say you can never say never in this business because it's always expected unpredictable because this happened a few months ago i was out with my wife shopping and we were in a certain area and a gentleman who was an actor, I recognized him from, actually he was in one of the Lethal Weapon movies from the 80s and 90s, and he had been in a TV show as well uh, with Lorenzo Lamas. I can't mm. remember the name of the TV show, but this guy was a known actor. He lived on the island, and he was out scouting with a director, and he came up to me and he said, you know the owner of this place? And I said, I don't, but my wife does. And honestly, I could have talk to him and probably secured something on that <laughs> that job because two of my friends did um, and they worked on the movie with him and oddly enough uh, it was either this one or one right after where John Travolta and Bruce Willis were here on Maui shooting a movie. They hadn't been in a movie together in a long, long time but things change rapidly on islands and a lot of Films occasionally will shoot out here because it is a unique environment. Uh, they're not doing it as much as Canada or other places, but they do come here because this is a certain environment. So things can change quickly. I, I, I can't say you would depend on that to happen, but things do happen. And on an island, connection is important. So there are some opportunities through connections you make. So you say that, and I'm just I'm curious. Are there you know certain, um, you know, obviously, like on film sets, a lot of them are union jobs and things like that. Uh, are there? Yeah, and a lot are a lot are not union. A lot are both. Yeah. Believe it or not, here a lot of them are both union and non-union. So it's not a hundred percent per se. 
On Oahu, it's more 100% union, and yeah. that's where things such as the new Magnum PI and uh, you know some other shows got the Hawaii Five-O, the new Hawaii Five-O. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shooting. It's like very challenging uh, opportunities and yet exciting at the same time. You just have to be ready for that island time lifestyle. As far as productions go, if you were going to get uh, into one of those, whether it's TV show or film or something uh, similar, now I, I do recall from things that you may have worked on or films or other people, other friends of mine working in New York City perhaps, there would be kind of days, long days, you know, 12, 13, 16 <laughs> yeah. hour days, and then, and then oh, yeah. nothing oh, yeah. for a while. Or, you know, it's not exactly nine to five work, right? Oh, yeah, this is perfect. This is a perfect segue you gave me because my friend, Chris, he called me halfway through the production and said, Mike, we need some more people. You want to come out and help? Mm. And, and there were two things that stopped me. One was there was the virus. The other thing was I was like, man, it's a lot of work. And in this heat, in the heat of the tropics, mm. um, that's rough because when I used to work on film, and, and he was doing this because he was – he was on, I forgot the app, but he was on an app with me, and we were talking a lot because he and I do investing as well, so we can talk about down the road. But um, he he was telling me, you know, you got to be up at, you know, before the sun comes up, and they don't get done until like 9 or 10 at night. I remember when I was working on films, uh, I worked on films in California for a short stint. We would work six days a week, 16 hours a day at least sometimes more so you only had sunday off and most of the time you did your laundry or whatever you could do <laughs> literally all you did was work on a set on a film set that's all you did and that's what these guys were doing that's what my friend chris was doing and i just didn't think after being so sedentary for like a year i could just jump back into something so demanding so i did not take him up on the offer yeah i, I that's part of the challenge right the dichotomy of getting set with some island lifestyle and, and doing certain things and then involved in a production that requires a lot of time and, and energy and, and just dealing with the heat and, and all those factors. So yeah. it's, it's got to be rough. If, if you're willing to do it, if you want to do it, you have to know these are the demands. Can I yeah. place on? Heat is a factor. I've never sweated so much in my life. I, I swear to here and I've you know, lived in Florida and everything. But I wasn't doing the same. I was working in an air-conditioned TV station a lot there. So we do a lot of outside events here because the weather is so good. Mm. But you're so generally you're setting up for events at night so that people can see the sunset and then events can take place. But you're setting up for them during the day and starting in the morning. Now, the good thing about here is you're not generally waking up at the crack of dawn or before the crack of dawn. You're generally – setting up at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock mm -hmm. when people start here. And um, and you in, you, you're, you're done setting up by about noon, pretty much done. We, we don't want to be setting up at noon and beyond. And you come back for the actual event sometimes, or you just relax for a couple hours. And talk story, that's the thing they do on the island, talk story. You know what talk story is? What is that? Talk story means... You're shooting the breeze. You're just talking about things. Hmm. And that happens on islands everywhere, even in the islands of Maine. They don't call it talk story. They call it here. So 
it means that the demands of your life, and I can't say this across all careers because there are some careers that have worked even really hard even on islands. So I can't say that across all careers. But generally, if you're on an island, you have time to talk story and make connections, and those people are helping you because you're so away from everything else that you have to depend on each other. And talking story and shooting the breeze with, breeze with people not only helps you remain healthy, but it helps you uh, survive and do different things. Um, everybody pulls together. There's, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't even count the number of times that something changed and everybody from every department had to get together and do maybe a different job than they were used to just to pull things out pull it off and you do because you're working together and you're close to people and you collaborate and you communicate and it works nice all right well you're kind of inspiring me here i i think we're talk story right now this is what we're doing yeah we are we are that's why i look forward to this stuff we, we're, we're definitely talking story there's a podcast there's a podcast called talk story somewhere too and I just I'm gonna do a shameless plug for myself. I'm probably gonna do it more than once. Good, good. Please go I, right ahead. I do I do a, a, a YouTube video channel, vodcast, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. It is video, and it's called Sign 365. So if you're in YouTube and you just type in Sign 365, uh, you'll see it. Now there are two. There's one that's like just jokes and stuff. That's not me. I try to do a little bit more serious one, but I do – the goal of Shine 365 is to shine your light out, help every help other people, um, I say, help you have a better life. And um, I think that if all of us do that, even just a little bit every day, all of our lives will get better. So yeah. I think it's all about not stepping on people, but if you move up, help someone else up with you, and then everybody has a better life together, and that's the goal. So, shameless plug, but I, I would like people to just check it out. Just type in Shine365, Shine and the number 365. That's Shine365, do check it out. It's very good. I would definitely recommend it uh, for, for people listening that, uh, you know, it's definitely worth a look. And uh, it's interesting. So, you got uh, good stories to tell and a and, and good, good way to do it. So, I hope they do yeah. check it out. And, and we all play well in the sandbox together and help each other out so that's that's, <laughs> and that's what we do on, that's what we do on the island you got to have multiple revenue streams because as i said things change rapidly and i look at it like say say you're bowling and you have all the bowling pins lined up at the end of the alley right mm -hmm. if you take a piece of wood and you put a piece of wood on top of those bowling pins right yeah. so you got that piece of wood there balanced but all those pins are holding that piece of wood up if, so if you remove three pins, right. you're still holding the wood up. And I, on islands, you get creative because I also lived on Catalina Island. And like I said, I lived with my parents summers on an island in Maine. You need to have more than one way to make money. And that's huge because we're talking career. Like generally, on islands, people work multiple jobs. And they do that because things change, and you want to you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. You mm -hmm. want to put them in multiple baskets. And so that's really important that if you want to bring your career to an island, you have to have the pieces of the puzzle 
in order to do that successfully. Otherwise, the island will spit you out. I remember one <laughs> bad, but I remember when I first moved here, and you know, I didn't know anybody at the time, and um, I answered an ad in the newspaper to move in with two guys that I didn't know. And they interviewed, they said they interviewed 25 people, which I thought was ridiculous. But yeah. and they, they picked me and three, two others. They narrowed it down to three. And then they, they kind of interviewed me for the position of paying them to live in a tiny room in their, in their home, which <laughs> blew my mind. But he told me, his name was Darius, which is a very interesting name. There's a lot of interesting names here. Mm-hmm. And Darius said to me, he said, Mike, he said, if the island is right for you, the island will embrace you and pull you in. And if the island's not right for you and you're not right for the island, you'll be out within a year. And that happens. I've seen it all the time. People wow. come. It's, you know within a year. If you last two years, then you know you're good. It's going, I think that's the same on any island. And, again, it all comes down to respect, communication. You can't bring your, since I grew up in New Jersey, my New Jersey attitude to Hawaii and expect <laughs> people to embrace it because they will not i have no but idea what you're talking you about is, jersey attitude <laughs> you, you, and i love new jersey attitude i do because i work hard and i think part of that is because of new jersey i have to yep. say that because i work my butt off in new jersey and i don't have to work my butt off as much but i still have that mentality so <laughs> stayed with me that's great that's great so talking about new jersey and I know I started this uh, in the beginning with we're talking about our friendship and growing up together and all that too. So let's let's do a little flashback right now. Let's go back to Bridgewater, New Jersey, probably growing up in uh, the seventies, uh, and you know, born in oh the eighties and the eighties. I know it's 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 way back there. But uh, your interests and your talents were were honed from a young age in production. Uh, so tell us a little bit yeah. of, of how you got started in that. My, my grandfather started recording movies back when my father was young, and then my father recorded Super 8 movies, and then I, he taught me how to do movies, and I, along with my neighborhood friends, uh, yourself and Mike and Lou and a bunch of other people in the neighborhood, we used to make films, and that was a creative outlet for us, and um, we not only did that, but we did radio shows, and all different types of creative things that you could do. And it was great because because our parents gave us a lot of freedom, and I think our parents actually pushed us to do it. I remember our friend Mike's mother, Stella, would say, you guys, if you, if you get out of the house and do something, or okay, you're doing a radio show, so you can do it inside. Or okay, you're pretending to be a DJ, you can do that. But otherwise, be outside, be doing stuff. And we shot a lot of short movies yeah no i i remember them fondly actually uh you know whether it was helping set up for the stuff or i definitely got to act in a couple of them and yeah. uh you know just just being part of that that scene was was a lot of fun whether it was the little radio shows and being a guest on that and and yeah. you know <laughs> playing dj and, and music and talking about what's coming up uh, those yep. are the days of, you know, Molly Hatchet and a few other bands that we would kind of introduce or Pink just Floyd. go out and shoot scenes. I, I know you and, and Lou, who you mentioned, were very creative and designing kind of the stories. And, yeah, and he kind of got me into my first job, uh, which he kind of 
pressured me into in a way because we needed money to buy props, better props, and build sets. I mean, towards the end of <laughs> towards the end of high school, we were actually building spaces with full-on slats and walls. We did a Three Stooges movie where we were pushing people through walls, and we had to construct walls. I can't believe we pulled it off, but we did, and we pushed people through it, and we painted people with chocolate syrup, and we did things. So he was, his father was in the restaurant business, and he was bussing tables and waitering, and he got me into that. So that was kind of my first uh, first way of earning money, and a lot of that money went towards films, and I would say that actually that progressed because we funded a lot of things. We self-funded because Sometimes you have to do that to get creative, to get creative, and get your. And even if you have a full-time job, sometimes you have to do your own creative interests to really take you to the next level. I think that's important. Yeah, no, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Actually, it's pretty interesting because I did, uh, you know, certainly see you working, and and your money was really directed. You know, you weren't the kind of person like, oh, I got to go buy a car, or no. I have to go buy certain things, you know, for my lifestyle. <laughs> Uh, you were yeah. funding your own projects, and it was buying film and yeah. props and, you know, yeah. some lights or do whatever and getting buying that. Buying film is expensive because we used real film back then, and we used 16-millimeter film too. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that was great, and then getting it processed and all that too. So uh, that, those, those are real expenses. My, you know, I, I liked working. I got a, a good work ethic from actually going out and getting a paycheck like you did, and you had similar experiences. But my money went to buying that car or the parts for the car and the yeah. mag wheels and things like that, but it also went to uh, paying my tuition and whatever else I had to pay at the time yeah. where, you know, you were honing your craft. You were doing that stuff, and, and I certainly see that. And I'm still that. driving a tiny Nissan in this island because – even though I would love to rent a sports car, and I do that occasionally, very, very, very occasionally, but I just can't see spending my money on that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's really cool, but to me, uh, I always put my creativity, and I'm currently working on some side projects, like the Shine 365. I'm also working on a short film here on the island that I've been fooling to shoot for a few years because I'm, I don't have to rush it. And I've been gathering people to be in the film, and I've got about half of it shot, and uh, it's a work in progress. And it gives me great self-fulfillment, and mm -hmm. I have gratitude that I'm able to do it. I have gra gratitude that I'm able to do Shine 365. I have gratitude that I'm able to work on this island. I mean, I still get frustrated with things. Uh, we deal with things, unique things here on the island. It, it's not perfect. People think it's perfect. It's not perfect. It's not perfect no matter where you are. But your attitude is really important, and my wife helps me with that as well because she's got a great attitude too. Yeah. And I met her. I met her here on the on the island. That's Never great. knew her before. Just looking back, something else popped in my head too about uh, your childhood and growing up. Now you always seem to have this innate ability for you know creativity, production, and and all that too. And I I, I remember. You know, I still to this day, I can I can look across your family, and your your mom is a very good artist in, in doing watercolors, yeah. and your dad, yeah. uh, computers, and you probably you, yeah. know, you, you know work for a major corporation and, and doing a lot of programming and, and other things with computers. Um, your brother very much into music and, and 
playing that and creating some of his own music and doing it, I was always amazed at how much he actually knew and could play. Uh, and your other brother also yeah. into uh, computers and things like that too. So the, the the point that I looked at was like, you know, every one of these people are just so creative and, and so driven in their own talents. And it was always encouraged uh, in you guys, but you also had this, all right, you each had your own innate abilities to do whatever it is you, your passion was. And, but it, it wasn't all just innate abilities. It was, you know, you, you learned, you, you did your own productions, you took it one step at a time. Uh, even so much, I remember you being in, in high school productions, even to plays and things like yeah. that, that were going there. So I think that was a, an 50 influence. 50 to 90,000 hours later, <laughs> I can do what I can do. Yeah. Literally, they say it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something, 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And um, But the thing is, if you love what you do, and I did a podcast on this, intrinsic versus extrinsic if you're doing something that you love now this was it was interesting because my whole family is creative but my father was more traditional and you know that mm -hmm. you know that yep. growing up in that and he would always try to reel people back you know because originally i was going to be an actor but he kind of reeled me back and he said you know mike i'm not sure you should be an actor because um you may get a lot of rejection that's hard to face sometimes but that's just part of acting and he says, you've got a technical ability, and I think if you're behind the camera or if you're editing or if you're projecting things, if you're doing the tech part, mm -hmm. you're going to have a much easier go of it. So he kind of pulled me back to, to that. But I was fine with that because I could still be creative doing that. My mother, on the other hand, is do whatever you want. And I think we're a mix of that. And my brother, Sean, who... The same name as you, spelled differently though. He <laughs> yep. actually designs. He actually designs um, rides for Disney. He designed the Toy Story. He was wow. part of the design team on that Toy Story, wow. and a lot of different things as part of his creative network. So it does run in the family. We have computer creative. Uh, he's working. He's working on virtual worlds right now. So we have my one brother who's doing computer creative things. My other brother, he's a musician, and me who does video but is audio as well because you have to have the two tied together. So it kind of is a culmination of my parents, uh, my dad, computer, and my mother, painter, visual yeah. and uh, tech, tech together. So it makes sense sure. that we would choose these careers, I think. <laughs> it is. But there's there's also, you know, along with that and what you're saying is there's, there's thought to this and, and your dad having a conversation with you and you realizing that you yeah. have – the passion and the creativity, but how to kind of, you know, put that to, to best use for a lot of reasons. So that kind of brings me back to, all right, you're in high school, you're, you know, junior, senior year in high school, you're thinking about your next steps afterwards, and you chose a particular path, and it wasn't acting, obviously, you had that conversation, but tell us yeah. where you went and why after high school. Well, I, I wanted... I wanted uh, a college or a university that had a TV studio. That was actually the prerequisite. Mm -hmm. It had to have a really good TV studio. Um, I wanted to have the tools to do what I wanted to do. And that, so I think I toured like three colleges. Well, I looked at a bunch, but we actually were curious about three. And I went to Syracuse University, the SI Newhouse School of Communication, because they actually had two buildings specifically for communication, television, and film. 
and they had a huge studio and I was impressed by that studio and I saw everybody my age you know my age within about four years I was freshman coming in but before I went there I saw everybody working at the studio doing live shows doing live to tape shows doing all the things that I wanted to do and that kind of sealed the deal um and I ended up going there. I got accepted. Plus, it was rated well for communication. Good. So, Good. So yeah. you knew right away you, what you wanted to do, where you wanted to go, and and it worked out. So it was everything you hoped it to be. It was, and it had a great internship program. Number one thing is internships. Don't and let your get taken advantage at an internship, but an internship is essential because that's when you go out of the – one studio kind of into the real world. So I worked at uh, Fox when Fox was just getting going in New York, and I did mm-hmm. an internship over the summer. And I couldn't believe it because they let me do all the things that I wanted to do when I was in college, which blew my mind. But get ready to get your mind blown because if you have a passion for something, yeah. um, just go for it and see what happens. That's great. I, I definitely, uh, you know, see eye to eye with you on the internships. It is a real world experience, the application uh, of your learning and your passion, but it's also an extension of your learning and kind of, you know, yeah. you only get so much when you're in, in school of any type. Uh, yeah. And even the applications that you have in school are great, uh, but it's nothing like the real world experience when you go on internships no. or your first job. So. The, the difference between the studio at the college mm-hmm. and the real television studio, I mean, for instance, uh, a TV was about to fall off of a cart, and I went to grab the TV to try to steady it so it wouldn't fall off the cart, right. but I wasn't union. I wasn't a stagehand. I wasn't part of the union, and I got reprimanded, and they said, you know what? You're not union. There are certain ramifications. <laughs> Let it fall to the ground and break. Don't touch it. Wow. I still remember it with me to this day. You you have set jobs. You do your set job, and you do your job really well. And um, if you're union, you don't cross jobs. You had the, your internships. You had some a uh, couple of early on jobs and on the East Coast. Yeah. But then you decided that maybe the East Coast wasn't the uh, the one and all for you right then. Is that yeah? Correct? I think I was impatient. Uh, because I do have a lot of impatience, and that's not a good thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I, I saw the – I actually wrote down on paper, my dad's idea, how to map out the career, you know, and how many years it would take to get there. And I did not think going through the channels of a major television network um, – at that time it was CBS – would get me to where I wanted to go fast enough. Now, curiously enough, some people who are my friends at that time, they are major producers at CBS, um, but it did take them a number of years. And at that time, I think we don't have as much patience, and I think we should. It's better to. When you're in your 20s, you just want everything to happen instantly. It doesn't <laughs> normally happen that way. So anyway, when my friend Lou said, hey, let's go to California and get into films and just jump into films and things can happen faster that way, I made the transition to that, and um, I don't know, I kind of veered off, but then when I saw what was actually happening on some sets, I didn't necessarily agree with those things, 
so I went back to the East Coast and I got into corporate video, which was very lucrative at the time. Very lucrative. Um, so that was good at that time. So I'm trying to get the timeline of things going here. You went out to California, you started working on film, uh, and yeah. you came back to the East Coast. But um, I, re- I distinctly remember there were a couple of productions that, that you have done um, that, that yeah. we had bits and pieces of. One uh, was called Seaside Heat. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and another one was uh, The Hollywood Scene. Yeah, Seaside so Heat was like the classic movie and the strange thing is that I had people calling me about that movie decades after. Some people tracked me down on the internet and say, were you the one that did see And I go, yeah. And I go, well, where can I see it? And actually it was re-shown again. I think it was the 20th anniversary of it or something. They did play it on, um, on uh, Piscataway Television or something to, to do the anniversary, but I haven't been back to New Jersey in ages. So <laughs> they actually had a re- like a twenty-year thing or twenty-five-year thing where they played it for like a month. Wow, that's fu- yeah. that's funny. There's a side note on that. See, I would love to uh, get a copy of that again and and see it. It was a classic B movie, but uh, I believe you shot that on video. Yeah, uh, we shot it on three-quarter inch tape, which the highest tape that you could shoot on was one inch tape, mm-hmm. but you couldn't you couldn't move those decks around easily. But you could move the three quarter inch deck around, and the three quarter inch decks were huge, so it was very hard to be clandestine. I'm kind of envious <laughs> of the fact that you can shoot a thing on a little camera or your phone and get much better quality now. But at the time, we had to haul around a deck and a boom microphone and a huge camera. The cameras were huge back then. Yep. Um, so we were a spectacle, but that was one of the funnest times in my life, hands down. <laughs> the, uh, the, the interesting thing later, and you remark about, you know, people seeing or whatever, I, I, I had people actually come up to me and I told you these at the time where like, did, you know, it, it was just somewhere out of the blue. And like, did you see that movie on, it was like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't see it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Seaside Heat. It was on at like two thirty yeah. in the morning. Yeah. On the cable TV station. Yep, that's what they played it. (laughs) (laughs) So, one, it was, you know, it was all about, you know, like we saw you and a few other people that we know and, you know, scenes of Bridgewater. And then all of a sudden it was down at, you know, in Somerville Circle and and then down at Seaside Heights, New Jersey. And it was locations that people knew and people that recognized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was the thing. You, You go out. And have a night at a bar or whatever. You come back and you watch a crazy movie like that. <laughs> so that was that was very interesting, and I I think even at the time we had a, a watch party uh, on that yeah. one as well. Yeah. So that was yeah. that was good. So the other production you did was the Hollywood scene, and that uh, kind of was an inspiration between uh, you and your partner Lou there, right? Yeah, that was a little darker. It didn't do as well because it was almost too dark. Um, it involved death and it involved some very negative things and it was loosely based on some things that we experienced firsthand in Hollywood because Hollywood has a lot in it. There's a lot of good things, but there's a lot of bad things and there's definitely an underbelly 
to Hollywood, as with a lot of things, but uh, when you see it firsthand, it's different than you imagine some mm. of the things. So. Yeah, and, and that's... Not all sunshine. No, no, no. I, I, I certainly know a few other people, and I've heard uh, some of your stories as well. We won't get into them now, but uh, a lot of people think the uh, the business, whether it's film or television or whatever, is all glitz and glamour and fun times. And yeah, when not. you start getting into it, there's a, a very, very dark side, as well as you know difficulty getting jobs or hard labor, or long hours, things like that. So um, yeah. you know, there's yeah. there's a l- many, many, many sides to this type of career so all right so in the meantime you you've worked at uh cable companies you also work for corporate video uh yeah. so tell us a little bit about like what, what do you do in corporate video you, you you were used to making your own productions maybe working at cable doing some editing yeah, and all, so now all of a sudden you're working on corporate you, video you do whatever they tell you to do and basically it's easier than film but it's not that much easier i mean you go in about eight in the morning eight thirty you work until about eight at night sometimes, but you usually have the weekends off. Some weekends you have to work, but usually you're only doing five days. And basically there's a team of producers. I was working for a huge corporation, probably in the top 20 of all companies in the U.S. at the time. So we had a lot of resources, and um, I was mostly editing, although I did camera work as well. We did live feeds. We had a studio. We had a TV studio in the building. We were at the um, headquarters at the time, although we moved a bit during my tenure there. But basically, I spent a lot of time in the edit room, in the edit booth. So I had an edit room with a huge computer at that time because computers were big if you were editing at that Mm -hmm. time. And um, producers would come in and you'd work project you would edit a project they would give you the footage sometimes you would help shoot the footage but usually um the footage was brought to you and you would just edit things to music and have a producer and most of the producers were really nice people not all of them but most of them were and um yeah you just do that and i did i finished hundreds of videos while i was at that company but it did get to be well. I, I it, it was it was very corporate, for lack of a better word, okay. which means that if you were and they had different levels within the company, and if you were a B level, you couldn't talk to a D level. You'd have to talk to a C level, who would then talk to the D level. There's okay. a lot of rules and regulations, and it got to the point where at certain times they would expect. A lot of you, I mean, there were times when I had to stay at a hotel right by the building because we had to finish a project, and I never really liked that. I felt like I had to get more of a balance in my life. It was, the work-life balance wasn't there at that time. Mm. So that's interesting because that brings up the other thought there that when you were had a variety of jobs. You went out to California. You came back. You worked for a cable company. You worked for corporate video. You you did and a couple of different things, but each time you've kind of changed jobs um, for for a reason. You know, was it something you yeah. learned about where you were at the time and didn't want to be there anymore, or wanted to go, so, or you wanted to challenge yourself with something new? What was what, what were the kind of the deep 
some of the the reasons why you went from one place to another. Well, that's that's really interesting. That's a great point because I think as you get older, uh, you do change, and as you move through life, things change. Um, I wish I knew some things then that I knew now. Um, I I have to say this: I don't think that life is about status and money. It, that's definitely a factor. Mm-hmm. But along my career, I had this brought up number of times to certain situations where just going for status or money you could be miserable and you could be taken advantage of and I believe that in order to have a better society for all of us we need to be fair and we need to be open and we need to communicate and we shouldn't be taking advantage of people and unfortunately uh, greed in some companies causes the workflow to take advantage of people and to mistreat people, and I saw that. And that made me change things. That also, huge thing was the work-life balance because in my 20s and 30s, I guess I was just all about work, but maybe I didn't realize that it shouldn't all be about work because if you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about your crappy jobs or your good jobs. You're going to be thinking about your relationships with people and your family. And that needs to be an important part of your life. So if you're just working 16 hours a day on a set, and if you're not treated well, you probably should be doing something different. And you should be giving back to society as much as you can. And that has been my priority recently more than ever and it should have been more before but i kind of strayed away from it right and i think it's easy to get stars in your eyes and to say i mean what brought me to hollywood stars in my eyes mm. you know what made me leave corp- the regular broadcast television and was that a right pivot as i look back at it i don't think it was because it opened my eyes up to things and then the corporate thing was almost like a rung on a ladder to get me to another place. Because at one point when I left, I bought a boat and I was just going to sail around the world. And uh, I was kind of burnt out. So I needed a reset. I needed a very big job, a career reset in my life. And I got one. And it really helped me with my priorities. So that's a good thing. Yeah, no. So I, I, you made that shift. Uh, I think when you went out to California, right? You became a, a sailor and yeah, Catalina Island, Cal- and yeah, several times. But the last time I was in California, I went on a boat and we were sailing up and down the coast, and then we sailed out to Catalina Island. And for some reason, I just love islands, and uh, we stayed on that island. And I actually did. Um, I, ran, I was the projectionist for the theater. There was a theater there, 2,150 seats. It was a big theater. Right. And we did uh, – I did lighting. I did video. I edited videos. I, there was actually a cable station on the island. I did commercials for them, so a lot of stuff. It was when I really had to uh, figure out different revenue streams. I worked for the island company. I worked for a tour company. I worked – doing movies, projection movies, and I did commercials. I did a, I did a lot. Yeah. Um, just to survive. 
So California, Catalina Island, you went back and forth between uh, the East Coast and there, and then you eventually made it out to Hawaii. So how, how did yeah. you how did you just like you said in the very beginning of this podcast, that's that's a long, long distance. Uh, yeah, so well, what, what got you to Hawaii? Gonna, yeah, that's really interesting. Between the bullet points here, we were going to sail to Hawaii. Um, my uh, girlfriend at the time, we were going to sail to Hawaii. And that didn't pan out for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was um, she didn't feel the boat was up to the snuff of traveling the 2,400-something miles that it takes, and it is a big endeavor, and Mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily have the money for all the safety things that we needed. We had enough. We could have done it. I mean, people have done We had a big enough boat. People have done it with much smaller boats than we had. People have done it with much less experience, but it didn't end up happening, but I still wanted to get out to Hawaii, and originally I thought, you know, going to just do this island lifestyle with a boat, but I ended up doing it without a boat. <laughs> Fine, too. And the funny thing is, my current wife isn't really a boater, so anytime I get on boats now, it's by myself, not with her, but with other friends. So, kind of the way that works. And then, when I got out here, I really think that the fact that I had a strong resume mm-hmm. with a lot of, a lot of good, a lot of good experience really helped out here and Good. the fact that i lived on another island before i came out here all that helped <laughs> <laughs> so i know specifically you noted uh and we heard a little bit about this before but uh and maybe this comes into your your kind of look back as well in summation that life and god have directed you in your career path and and can you expand on that yeah, yeah oh yeah this is this is perfect segue because i was thinking the other thing that I did, and this happened in New, it just happened in New Jersey in the corporate. I, I said I made a lot of money in the corporate city, and I did. That helped me buy the boat. Mm-hmm. But I realized that the money wasn't making me the happiest person. What made me happy was the freedom to use my creativity and to do things that gave me self-satisfaction. And um, a lot of that had to do with um, any anything I any major thing I do I do pray about it. Uh, I believe in God. I'm uh, mm-hmm. Christian. Um, I'm everybody's open to whatever they do, but this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I've had direction, and I've learned that you know a lot of the material stuff is not as important. And honestly, if I was not at that point, I could not be living on this island because. The first time I came out here just to see how things would be, I realized that you're not going to make the same amount of money. You could, but you probably won't. And the cost of living is much higher. So you really have to learn how to live with less, I would say. And it wasn't at that point, but moving onto a boat and sailing, that helped me transition to that point. Because if you're living on an island, you could (laughs) hit it big and have this company, but you're generally only as big as the island is, and, you know, it's not like New York City, where you're going to live in a penthouse. I mean, Oahu is more built up. Oahu is a real city on the island of Oahu, but uh, the island is a chain, so there's different islands. Maui doesn't really have any skyscrapers. 
we do have some wealthy people, but most of those wealthy people only come here for a couple of weeks out of the year. <laughs> they're, not they're just so visitors, yeah. They're just visitors. And, and I think that when you learn to live on less and you're not just materialistically motivated, mm-hmm. that opens your career opportunities immensely. It just opens up so many avenues for you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very interesting because I think – the instinct for most people is uh, go at it, hit, hit it hard, make as much as you possibly can, and and that will kind of increase things when you're kind of saying almost the opposite. Yeah, because so. at the end of your life, you're going to be looking back at your experiences more than – so when I was working at the corporate job, I was making a lot of money, but I was only doing things on the weekends and sometimes only on a Sunday, and I remember <laughs> – a lot because that's my only day, and I remember sometimes the weather was crappy, so I'd be like, okay, well, this Sunday's crappy. Maybe next week I can do something fun. Oh, that Sunday's crappy. I can't mm. do anything outdoors. But here in Hawaii, you can do stuff every day. The weather, you get a storm, but it'll go away in an hour. Um, if I want to surf, I can go surf whether I'm working or not. I can get up earlier. I can mm. bring my surfboard on my car to work and change clothes after you have enough energy to do that that's another thing once you get older you do that less and less but <laughs> you you have opportunities and i mean i've experienced so many things and you actually meet people from all over the world on islands people grab interesting creative people i'm going to make a statement interesting creative people gravitate to islands hmm. i met my wife here she came from bulgaria i had never met another bulgarian until i met my wife here we are married <laughs> At our wedding, at our wedding here on the island, we had a small, well, we had a local wedding, and we had, what did we count, 16 different countries represented, at least 16, and I think there was maybe 30 people. So more than half of the people came from another country, and I'm talking about Sudan, Austria, Philippines, um, Greece, I'm talking Cyprus, I'm talking about all over Russia, right. talking about all right. over the world, you know. So I, I, uh, I enjoyed that. I sure. Enjoyed that. Yeah, I know. I, I can understand. I can relate. I, I, I think whatever, uh, you know, you talk specifically about islands and moving there, and and you know the variety of people from around the world. That's that's super interesting. Uh, I, I'll take that one step further. I think whatever takes uh, a, a bit of an effort to go and do and, and get to or whatever, uh, that might be the key factor in some things. I, I just, when you were saying that, I'm thinking, you know, the decision that I made to uh, do a semester abroad and go to England yeah. and, and your yeah. brother was doing a semester abroad at the time in France, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, as I traveled around for about six weeks in Europe and I met yeah. a crazy amount of people from all over the world and it was just that we were all had the same ideas and we were kind of traveling in the same circles at the time or something, you know, that was unique or, uh, or when I was in the military and, you know, going down to Panama and, and meeting people there, it was just that, you know, it was the, the people I was there with were from basically across the country or wherever yeah. we met them. So getting awesome. that effort. So going to an Island really requires a lot of thought, a lot of hard work and effort to get there. But 
not everybody's willing to do that stuff. It's a lot easier to, to stay at that cable company and, and do the yeah. work or the corporate company and like, ah, I got a job, I got, you know, why should I leave, you know? And when you yeah. said, nope, I'm going to follow my passion, my interest, and I'm just going to do it. And that's that's how you yeah. meet those other people. So that's that's a wonderful story. So uh, getting late on time here, I want to wrap it up in a little bit, but, but tell yeah. me um, what's left for, for Mike Patton and his career and, and what you might do <laughs> in the future. I think this is the best part. Um, I I think that well, I'm growing closer in my relationship with God, and I think that faith instills in you the courage to do the things that you might not have had courage to do before. So, moving forward, what I'd like to do is expand Shine 365. I'd like to show this video that I'm making. Um, it's about life basically i'd like to start in churches but then show it in theaters as well and maybe expand out to um film festivals across the mainland but i but i have the i have the incubator here in maui which is awesome because i can incubate things test them out on this island see what's working mm -hmm. and then take it further and i think the goal is to really perfect the work-life balance and to me that balance is God, family, friends, um, experiences, and then career is super important, but it's fallen down the rungs a little bit because it's not the end-all, be-all. I think it's certainly important, and the number one thing about a career is you want to get some self-fulfillment. You want to feel that what you're doing is important because if you're doing a, a job that you don't like, and you don't feel as important, you're going to be miserable. And if you're working that job, you know, let's just say a normal job, you're working eight to ten hours a day, five days a week, sometimes on the weekend, you're taking stuff home, you're going to be miserable if you don't find that balance in life. And that's what I'm striving for, and I think I'm getting there. And as I get there, I have to give up the other things that society says is so important, like money and fame and stuff. But I give it up and I get other stuff in, in back. So it's a trade-off. <laughs> That's great. Well, those are those are very good words to live by. Um, I certainly look forward to to seeing more of that stuff. Shine three sixty five. Definitely gonna look for that and check it out some more and your future endeavors. Uh, so I think there's a lot here that that people can certainly uh, take away a lot of the good messages from, and especially many of those between the bullet point moments that you've made decisions based on, on certain things or things you've seen or done or experienced and, and learned from as, as we should. So, yeah. uh, excellent. I, I really appreciate your story. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I appreciate you, Sean. And this is a great idea what you're doing because these kind of things are the future. People are going to be doing a lot more of these things. So, all right. Well, maybe uh, maybe you'll inspire me to get some of that uh, island life in my future. We'll 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 see. I, I don't know. We'll uh, after after this chapter is done, whatever it is, and on to my next chapter, we'll see. But that's certainly something that that enters the realm of my thoughts uh, and, and whatever. We'll we'll you never know. All right. Yeah. Until we all speak right. next time. Thank you again, Mike. Fantastic. And, all right. Great. Enjoy life. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Great.
That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.